tonight on Hops and Box Office Flops. You guys, I'm really going to miss these beers. Me too. Hey, let's all promise that in 10 years from today, we'll meet again and we'll see what kind of beers we've all had. Yeah! What time do you want to meet? You mean 10 years from now? Let's meet in the morning so we can make a day day drinking of it. Okay. So what is it? Is it like 9, 9.30? Well, let's say 9. That way we can be drinking by 9.30. No. Why don't we say 9.30 and then make it your beeswax to have your beer open at 9.30? I mean, we'll all be in our early 50s by then. I just don't see reasons why we can't be on time for beers. Okay, then. It's settled. 9.30 it is. All agreed? Agreed. Agreed. Good. Because I have drinks planned for 11. You just have a trap keeper full of drinking plans, right? No, I just have drinks at 11, and I can't change it because I already changed it twice. Hops and box office flops. A place where we can celebrate the underdog films, the bombs, the disasters, the much maligned movies that have drowned in their infamy. So please sit back, grab a beer, and enjoy the show. Welcome back. This is our 208th episode of Hops and Box Office Flops. We are the internet's premier podcast for bad movies and mostly good beer. Tonight, we continue our look at summer camp flops with a movie that I personally love and will always love, 2001's Wet Hot American Summer. I am your program director for tonight's episode, and with me as always are the man who definitely knows how to make eight gallons of bug juice by snack hour, Thunderous Wizard, do you know where the powder packets are? Have a good winter, everyone. I'm going to go hump the fridge. Wait, Wait okay. what? Be who you are. And the guy who knows that it's always good to get away from camp, even for an hour, Chumpzilla. I'm going to dip my balls in it. It's a different David Wayne project. But, you know, related. Good enough. I- I'm out of he- 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 here. Now, points of order. You can find the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Hops and B.O. Flops. Wet Hot American Summer can be rented for $3.99 across platforms. Uh, however, I own this, and so should you. It is eminently rewatchable and always in my annual summer rotation. But before we get into this movie, first, let's talk beer. Tonight, we are drinking Paradise from Masthead Brewing Company in Cleveland, Ohio. And while our movie does take place in Maine, the director is from the Cleveland area, and the movie was at least partially inspired by his time at Camp Wise, which is also near Cleveland. Masthead calls this an American Grapefruit IPA. It does come in at a slightly Captain Cash disapproved 6.8 ABV, It pours a golden, nearly transparent yellow with moderate white head. 
that uh, fades to some light lacing. I think it has a nice hop character that still lets the citrus flavors come through. I don't think it's particularly grapefruity, uh, which is probably a good thing for me since grapefruit isn't my favorite flavor. Uh, but it's very well balanced, I think. And it's a very refreshing, refreshing, flavorful IPA. Uh, I really like citrusy IPAs. So I think this is going to be in the rotation. It comes in four packs of 16 ounce cans. So if you're in the distribution area of Masthead, I definitely recommend checking this one out. It's pretty tasty. Um, so cheers, y'all. Cheers to that. All right. So put my feet to the fire. How many bad movies would I be willing to sit through while drinking it? You know, it's not super alcoholy at all. Um, it is a drier IPA. So I'm going to call it two and a half movies. It's, it's pretty darn tasty. And it's, you know, it's not going to get you super wasted at uh, the 6.8, but you'll be feeling it. All right. So on to wet, hot American summer. God, I love this movie. I'm so happy we're doing it. This is the whole reason that I wanted to do summer camp flops. Uh, so I'm very excited tonight. Wet Hot American Summer was released in 2001. It was written by Michael Showalter and David Wayne, uh, who you may remember if you were fans of The State and or the Stella comedy troops. And then David Wayne is directing as well. The cast of this movie is amazing. It has so many awesome stars and character actors that I really shouldn't go through every single one of them because it's a long list. But out of pure respect, we're going to go ahead and do just that. So here we go. Let's see how fast I can do this uh, while actually maintaining clarity of speech. We have Janine Bowler Garofalo, David Niles Crane Hyde Pierce, Michael Coop Showalter, Marguerite Connie Moreau, Paul Antman Rudd, Zach J.J. Orth, Christopher Freak Show Maloney. A.D. Love, Take Me Down to the Street, Miles, Molly Superstar Shannon, Ken, Ron Donald Marino, Joe Lowe, Charles Boyle Truglio, Michael Ian McKinley Black, Amy Leslie Nope Polar, Bradley Rocket Cooper, and Elizabeth Effie Banks. Bam! Nailed it. Wow! Oh, and don't forget that Judah Freehugs Friedlander and H. John Archer Benjamin show up as well. They sure as shit do. It's ridiculous. This movie is full of... Wait, and that guy's in it? I mean, it just keeps going. And, you know, this came out in 01, so most of these people weren't all that well-known at the time. No, no. But because of its status as a cult classic, by the time most of us came around to actually watching this for the first time, we knew who these people were. We're like, oh my God, I can't believe Bradley Cooper. This was the first movie that he was really in this is is, uh pre 40 year old virgin so elizabeth banks kind of gets some rub from that movie Mm -hmm. uh it's pre anchorman although paul rudd had been in clueless but he wasn't paul rudd wasn't paul rudd yet paul rudd now he was also halloween six uh but yeah one of the uh children of the corn movies too Maybe. Maybe. I know that Charlie Theron was in Children of the Corn 3. He was in <laughs> one of them. But no, this is, but more important for Bradley Cooper, this is before Wedding Crashers. Before Wedding Crashers? I mean, three or four years before Wedding Crashers. I, you know, 
I think honestly, when this came out, the most famous people in this movie were Janine Garofalo, David Hyde Pierce, and to a lesser extent, Christopher Christopher Maloney. Uh, yeah, he was famous. I mean, he was an he Oz, was famous, like, but he's not as big as he, well. He, he was Niles Frazier. Niles Crane was had to be. I mean, Janine Garofalo was a movie star. She'd been a lot of shit. But Niles Crane was in a show that like tens of millions of people were watching every week. And then he shows up in this and you're like, wow, that is not Niles Crane. It is not Niles Crane. Oh, fuck my cock. I think this is one year after um, What's-His-Face was on SVU too. So like this was like the very beginning of his career of being a TV star, uh, Maloney. Uh Oz was before this, and Oz is the greatest. Yes, yeah, show. and yeah. he was on Oz and SVU at the same time. And again, he's he's not anything like. I mean, he sort of is like his character from Oz because he's insane in this movie, but he's also yes. goofy and fun. But you know, uh, which yeah, is kind I, of a shock. Like you don't you you don't if you know that guy just from his like TV career. This is kind of a oh wow he's uh he's doing a bit of a stretch there, a little bit of a reach. He does a lot of drama, obviously, but it is really fun when he gets to do comedy stuff. He's hilarious. From Maloney is really, really yeah. funny. You should watch Veep, and I forget what season he shows up in as her personal yeah. trainer, but it's incredible. Really? Yeah. Yeah. He's fantastic. Yeah. She that sleeps with her personal trainer. It's great. Oh, and he starts well, giving her advice, like policy advice. It's just so, so fantastic. Very Marjorie Taylor Greene style. I like it. All right. Well, Wet Hot American Summer was made on a budget of just $1.8 million, And I just read off a huge list of people that were in this movie. There are a lot more actors in this movie than those that I listed. So that $1.8 million did not go to the cast, really. Um, they were paid uh, very little. Apparently, none of it went to Paul Rudd because he's not convinced he was ever paid for this film. <laughs> He is not sure, but I love the fact that it's more of a joke to him than anything else because he has way more money than he knows what to do with. And probably uh, by that point in time, he'd already been on Friends. Like, he was doing fine. Obviously, it worked out. Man. He's like, eh, I'm not even sure they paid me. Yeah, it's all good. I, I bet you got paid plenty for uh, first day of camp and 10 years later. So Yes, I'm, I'm sure they made it up to him on the back end there. Uh, obviously, he wasn't hurt because he was in both of those. Uh, what is interesting about that budget number, though, is that in another place, I saw $5 million as the budget listed, because apparently when the film premiered at Sundance, they didn't have a distributor yet. So they they told everyone that it cost $5 million to make in the hopes that it would somehow attract a better offer from a distributor. Like they were like, well, if it costs $5 million, you have to pay us at least X number of dollars as opposed to you know, 1.8 million being in that equation. I I don't think it worked, however, because oh, no. the movie did not get distributed. <laughs> it was an absolute box office flop and it brought in less than $300,000 at the box office, which if we're talking about people that are now in Marvel movies, if you told me that a Paul Rudd, Bradley Cooper movie uh, is going to bring less than 300K at the box office, I would tell you, you were insane. Yeah, with Amy Perler and Janine Garofalo and Elizabeth Banks. Like I'd, I'd say, was it the Midnight Meat Train or it's yeah. all names. There's a lot of people that are recognizable in this film. I, I can't and believe it. Molly Shannon and David Hyde uh, Hyde Pierce. Like, wait, wow. Yeah. Oh. 
it's safe to say that critics did not like this movie at the time it was released. Uh, it does sit at a 38% on Rotten Tomatoes now. And that's after it cemented itself as a cult classic. Mm-hmm. But I guess most of the reviews always all came out at the time that it was released. So take that for, for what it's worth. Mm. Audiences seem to mostly love it, though. Um, it is at a 75% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. This movie is both a parody and just extremely tongue-in-cheek goofball comedy, which is kind of a, a hallmark of Wayne and, and Showalter's comedy style. So if you don't like that kind of thing, Chumzilla, you probably didn't like this movie. And also you don't have a sense of humor and you probably aren't a lot of fun at parties. Yeah, people don't like me. It's okay. <laughs> I mean, just speaking from experience, yeah. Yeah, you can Yeah, that's true. Suck. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm just going to go on the record. I like the state. I enjoyed that on MTV. Um, I think this movie is... Uh, you know, it's the, the sum is less than its parts, sadly. I think there's a lot of funny people involved, and there's a lot of talented people involved in this, and somehow it just doesn't translate on the screen. And I think that's why it's gotten the reviews and and uh, the, the mixed reviews that it has uh, over time. Do, do I think there's nothing funny in it? No, it's got its moments, but you know, yeah, it's 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 a messy, meandering movie at points. Isn't there a bridge you need to be protecting and charging people, asking people riddles to cross? Like, go! Uh, you're such a troll. Yeah, yeah. If you don't, if you don't pay no tolls, you don't get no rolls. That's Chumpsill mm. <laughs> is the party pooper. Uh, every party has a pooper, and the pooper is me. Uh, while I know that the quote you just had from was from Men in Tights there, Thunderous Wizard, I do want to go on record that the wife and I watched uh, Prince of Thieves the other night. The best oh, Robin Hood movie. Some, some Kevin Costner action. I love that movie. Uh, My anyway, favorite part about that wait, movie, Blaine Blake, is that, <laughs> that Kenner made toys for that, and they reused the Green Arrow molds from the DC Superpowers line for Kevin Costner's uh, Robin Hood. Wait, is story. that is that the movie where Kevin Costner workshops his accent for Yellowstone? Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, a workshop might be strong, but he attempted. Yeah. Yeah. It's the exact same Kevin Costner accent that you see in Yellowstone and also Field of Dreams. Uh, I think mm-hmm. it also features prominently in uh, Tin Cup. Tin Cup. <laughs> maybe draft day. Draft day. Maybe draft day. Yeah. yeah when yeah. he miss when he misses that arrow shot and he goes, little chili pepper, chili pepper. <laughs> <laughs> little, little gust from the gods there, Rome's. Well, all right, let's do our one-liners. I will go first. This is Summer Camp. That's it. That's all I got. T-dubs? I mean, yeah. Uh, I would say this movie shows you the fever into the fire, taking you higher and higher. Uh, But really, this is just a series of like, Mostly nonsensical gags that almost universally work for me, featuring like a cast of eclectic, bizarre characters, all played by a budding superstars, and you just don't see shit like this anymore, except for the prequel series and the sequel series on Netflix. <laughs> yeah, hard to agree. I I love this movie. It it makes me so incredibly nostalgic for my camp staff days, because that is like that is summer camp, right? It's this 
crazy eclectic group of people that are all trying to hook up and do whatever it is they're doing and have the best summer of their lives while also making sure that a bunch of rich kids don't die on our watch. Uh, I love it. I love this movie. Chumzilla, what's your bummer one-liner? I'll just say that uh, Wet Hot American Summer is an almost charming comedy that can't make up its mind as to what it wants to be. Does it want to be a heartwarming teen sex comedy or does it want to be a straight up parody of the same genre it just can't make up its mind this is a hundred percent a clusterfuck parody it is not at all meant to be a real movie and and, Uh, and, it's slapping you in the face with that point okay at every turn okay so i'll get into it right now briefly uh molly shannon's whole plot point to me it's like so why does that exist then because that parodies nothing okay it has a weird emotional beat at the end she marries it, it looks, an eight-year-old at the end it's yeah it's ridiculous yeah, it's getting married but what, what, what is that but what is that he's wearing the bandana ascot it, it oh, does a, just the, the a parody takes life you could have just cut that whole subplot. It would have been just no, fine. No, because it, it then, is the, the greatest also, through and line And then the semi-serious gay camp. relationship portrayed in the film, which I think the film handles quite well, honestly, but it doesn't they fit do a great into job the, with it. It doesn't fit in the parody model. It's, of course it's it little, does, because it's the 70s, and these guys act like assholes, the, and they say the all 80s. these terrible things. But It's, it's like, no, but, it's 76, but, but, isn't it? 81. 81. What's okay. the, what's that a parody of again? It's because people me seriously. People in the 80s would behave like assholes and they start they, behaving like assholes and then they buy him a uh a like an arm water or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and which, is, which, which again, I'm like, I am I supposed to care about these people or is it a joke? Because I just want to point out you don't like care like, about people in a movie like this. That's not the point of a movie like this. The point of a movie uh, like this Show is Walter's to laugh. Character. We're supposed to care about Show Walter's character. He's the main character. Of the that's movie. not that's not true at all. The movie he does have an emotional through line. It does. Oh, no. I will I will grant you that there's probably an emotional through line, and they do good things in terms of like the the Ben McKinley love thing yeah that's the that's a that's a central driving arc of the movie but it's not it's no network supposed to be serious it's all still silly slapstick goofball comedy that just makes people not terrible people Mm -hmm. the fact that the one sex scene in the movie is this is this like long drawn out sex scene in in the cabin with bradley cooper and michael ian black it's fantastic it's some it's this movie's just subverting like expectations and making fun of other movies constantly Hundred percent, where mm-hmm. where all the other eighties and seventies uh, summer camp goofball comedies were extremely homophobic, this one teases you that it's going to go that way, and then it goes exactly the opposite. And then it and it treats relationships as stupidly as all those movies treat them, like everybody's disposable, like this is so dumb. Of course, it's dumb. These movies are dumb. All right, let's do the actual IMDb description before we get into the plot. Here we go. Set on the last day of camp in the hot summer of 1981, a group of counselors try to complete their unfinished business before the day ends. All right, that's fair enough. Everybody's trying to everybody's trying to get it in before 
Last day of camp. Just, yeah, for, I mean, just for the record, Chumzilla thinks this is a serious movie when it involves a motorcycle chase of a man in sandals on foot who hurdles a bale of hay and then the motorcycle stops as if he can't possibly go around. Hey, some of the best gags in the movie involve uh, Joe Torriglio uh, or whatever and him on that bike and then his stunt double taking his place. Like, they very obviously do not care that you can tell their stunt work they're involved. It's great. Yeah, and, and there's giant continuity errors, too. Like, during that motorcycle chase, when the guy that skids to a halt clearly is just a big dude in a bad wig. Yes. Um, like, they're they're trying to make that fun That is of the joke. Yeah, that is, that is, that the, is joke. the joke. Yeah, yep. not to mention the entire ride down. He's like, you'll never make it back. And then they run back and save the children from going yeah. over the waterfall. <laughs> All right, so let's get into the plot. And... So it's the last day of camp in 1981 at Camp Firewood. And then this the whole movie is all subplot, all subplots. So I'm going to try to break it down as best we can uh, and just put it into the individual stories that get told throughout this. So if you guys want to break in, please do. Uh, but I'm going to try to go through this relatively quickly because to your point, Chumpzilla, there is very little actual plot and overall story to this movie all right so beth janine garofalo am i saying that right i feel like i'm saying that name right i'm just going to break in here now that this movie garofalo yeah this movie is definitely part of that hollywood industrial complex that was trying to convince us through the 90s and the early 2000s that somehow janine garofalo was not attractive and that, that just baffles me to this day. She is very conventionally attractive. She is a good-looking human being, yet somehow she had to be cast as undesirable. She's nerdy. She's brunette. She has gasp glasses. And, like, somehow she's not good-looking. And she clearly is. She's a conventionally attractive woman. I uh, I don't understand the Hollywood conspiracy to make her the ugly chick. Uh, she's not. She, she's just, uh, perfectly, perfectly fine. Chumzilla, welcome to Hollywood. Oh, I know. Are you, I know. Are you not familiar with... Uh, First time? Wonder Woman 1984. Hey, here's Kristen Wiig. Don't worry. She's not hot now. She has glasses. glasses. Hey, hey, hey. Okay. Her, her, it's a wonderful life. They, they put Donna Reed in a bun and glasses, and she has a job. The horror, right? Yes. I just, I appreciate this movie continues with that trend, that she's she's the school marm, not to be sexual. Oh, no. Well, she gets moosed up and gets very sexual. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, she, literally in this movie, she has to be like, So, how do I attract boys? Do I wear clothes? Do I, what do I do? Oh like, no, no, no. It's perfect when she's like, No pants? What about slacks? Slacks? So, like, slacks? So, Beth, Janine Garofalo, who is no Ruth Buzzy, is our camp director, and she's hoping for a chance at love with a camp neighbor, Henry played by David Hyde Pierce, who happens to be an associate astrophysics professor. That means he's lesser. Less than. That's right. Less than. Mm-hmm. Yeah, less than. Sorry. I said no. I said no. 
But eventually, at Beth's behest, Henry agrees to spend the last day of camp teaching the indoor kids from Bunk 8 uh, about astrophysics. <laughs> teaching, while also <laughs> te teaching the Captain Cash uh, <laughs> camp attendees. No, oh, no. Douchebags are hygienic products. I take that as a compliment. Whenever I, I, I never knew his name in the credits was just Cape Boy. And Cape I was Boy. like, yep, that's Captain Cash. 100%. Cape He's Boy. Cape Boy. <laughs> so he's teaching the kids about astrophysics while also coming up with a plan to save camp from being destroyed or at least slightly damaged by a piece of Skylab. Yeah, call back to the 80s, which is falling from space. Skylab. Yeah. Then we have Coop played by Michael Showalter, who wants to hook up with Marguerite Moreau's Katie badly. Katie is still trying to make it work with Andy, played by Paul Rudd, who is the cheating lifeguard. Andy keeps hooking up with Lindsay, played by Elizabeth Banks, until she tastes like burgers and he doesn't like her anymore. And also, Andy probably killed some other kids to cover up for his negligence, or at least left them to die. Not at least a couple. We know two couple. kids died, and then he ditches two other kids on the side of the road, which are it's my two favorite scenes of the movie. <laughs> Andy, is there gonna be is there gonna be pizza? <laughs> We're going to a super secret pizza party. <laughs> oh great. I love pizza. I love pizza. Ah! Yeah. By yeah, the way, this well. movie has a Wilhelm scream, which is also pretty clutch. It yes, does have a Wilhelm scream. Apparently, there is a there was a scene that that further explored uh, uh, Andy's uh, kid murder, and apparently the the director's father reviewed the script and was like, "Yeah, no, you can't do that. <laughs> that's that's too dark. That's that's too dark for this movie. There's yeah. the the gratuitous homosexual sex scene in the uh, A-field shed. No problem." Love is love, man, but child murder is uh, that's that's dark, something man. else. Yeah, that's put, something you in, else. put you in a yeah. new category. Yeah. Gene, played by Christopher Maloney, is our thousand-yard stare Vietnam vet camp chef who has some Freudian slips. And his best friend is a can of mixed vegetables. Okay, I just got to ask it now. Is it just me, or does does he... Switch between a real beard goatee combo and a fake one at different points in the movie. There, there's a fake beard combo. Yeah, there's a, it's some early it's in not the movie. It's, it's thicker. Yeah, and yeah, it's but, clearly there's some. I think that might be intentional. Okay, is that intentional? Okay, because but by the end it seems like oh that's a legit. Especially goatee. based on the you know the the prequel the context series, of the movie. Okay, where he goes from a guy named Jonas who skips around in like light blue slacks and a and a sweater vest and a wig and then becomes gene the becomes psychotic gene. vietnam veteran okay so there might be some there might might be some cosplay going on there okay uh but gene is also here to help coop become a man that is desirable to katie via the montage night. yeah we get a great montage oh my gosh it's like it's the best montage outside of Rocky three of two men in really, you know, in crop tops and, and one in short shorts running frolicking and hugging yeah. a lot. It's just a lot. tremendous. Yeah. 
which it's a hundred percent playing off of Rocky. Oh yeah. 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 Famous teen sex comedy Rocky for this film to parody. Yep. Oh my God. You are the devil. (laughs) I, could we could we possibly get a fucking can of vegetables for me to play off of tonight and replace Chumzilla? <laughs> I'm creamed corn. How are you? If it was if it was voiced by H. John Benjamin, our show would, would do a lot better. That's true. That would actually be a huge uh, improvement. We honestly have, uh, and like, what was he doing right now? Was he doing home movies on UPN? I just voice work. I'm sure. Well, he's got Bob's right. Burgers. They yeah. just did a but new no, season of Archer. No, but at the, at the time, like, but at the time, he just oh. had to be doing voice work, right? Before yeah, he did stand up, probably. Yeah. I mean, well, that too, but voice I, work. This had to be home movies on UPN, right? Yeah. Like before it went to comedy or to Cartoon Network, had to be. Yeah, I would assume so. Home movies, good stuff. Good stuff. Like worth, worth watching. Home movies. Why not? We have uh, Gary, played by A.D. Miles. He's Gene's assistant in the kitchen. And he and his buddy J.J., Zach Orth, are determined to get McKinley laid. McKinley oh, he gets laid. McKinley being Michael Ian Black. Uh, but McKinley only has eyes for theater counselor Ben, played by Bradley Cooper, and after a steamy hot love scene between the two, we also get a very romantic uh, lakeside wedding ceremony. Uh, that's just it's just beautiful. It's so yes. good when they when they go through the woods to see if he's boinking uh, Amy Poehler's character, and she's in there like a wood nymph playing the piccolo, playing the pan flute. Now, <laughs> yeah. oh, Captain Cash approves of that hundred percent, no doubt. Uh, I, I my, will say this right now, though. Uh, the movie does criminally underuse Michael Ian Black. I mean, I think the whole world is criminally underused Michael Ian Black. It, I, he, he doesn't have a, a huge role in the film. And then Bradley Cooper really doesn't either, aside from this quick uh, little romantic subplot. But uh, yeah, I was kind of surprised. Now, well, I will say this, though. For Bradley it's Cooper. tough because this is a giant ensemble. It is. So. But I'll just say this that Bradley Cooper, pretty weak. In what little bit of time he gets, especially next to Amy Proler, who seemed to be a much more comfortable actress in her role. Well, yeah, Michael Ian Black, though, he'd been a big part of the state. He'd worked with those guys uh, as part of that comedy troupe. I was just kind of surprised to see how small his role was compared to the other state regulars. This movie's pretty much like an improv session for an hour and a half. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's what you know, Polar's trained to do that. And that's why yeah, Bradley she's a Cooper's second city there to just sort of bet, pay, right? play off her. And he does, yeah. I think he has funny moments, like when she tries to uh, tell Beth they don't want uh, the guy who's on the spectrum to perform at their talent show. And she slams the, the clipboard oh. and he picks it up. She says, don't pick that up. Don't pick that up. <laughs> it's such that you mentioned it, uh, Chumzilla, because really like, there are so many of these subplots that in 90 minutes, everybody really only has three to five scenes max. Yeah, yeah I mean, you only get so many, right? Right. So, I mean, so there, there is a, a lot of really, really short stories being told over the course of this, you know, presumably a 10 hour day. Um, 
so no, I mean, I think I think everybody's kind of underused in that sense because we only get everybody for a, a few minutes of screen time each. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Molly Shannon's Gail is recovering from her divorce with Ron, played by Judah Friedlander, and gets comfort and companionship from Camper Aaron, played by Gideon Jacobs. This is the subplot that Chumzilla cannot understand or wrap his head around. Yep, no, just seemed like it, it took time again. Like you just said, everybody gets so much screen time in a film like this, that whole subplot took time away from the other characters that probably could have used it but she's funny more effectively. Molly Shannon is funny in this movie. I'm sure. Okay. She is. Molly Shannon is very funny. The number of times that I have said to kids, there are literally hundreds of colored markers over here. I, it can't be understated. I've, I've said, it, her line, I've said it at least a thousand times. That's the little girl's line. Yeah, but without Molly Shannon being in it, we don't get that interaction. Mm. She wants him to draw color with the one brown crayon. I'm mm. sorry, but she's funny. And when <laughs> she's getting like the massage from the guy who she winds up marrying, she's like, oh my God, your hands are magic. Your hands are magic. <laughs> I think, uh, I think you're telling on yourself there, Tina. No, this <sighs> was just funny. It's absurd and it's funny. And I laugh at most of it. It's completely absurd. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile... Victor, played by Ken Marino, needs to lose his virginity to Abby, even though everyone thinks he's like a, a stallion, a stud at camp. Uh, Abby, the chick from Major Dad. The Yes, girl from Major Dad. Because Neil, played by Joe Lotruglio, who needs to get Victor back to the river to save the kids, reminds us that if you're a virgin, you're a loser. Such a lo- oh, I can't believe it. You're such a loser. <sighs> Which gives us the awesome uh, aforementioned motorcycle Birkenstock chase. Slow-mo jump over the hay is magnifique. <laughs> then the look back that he gives him as you see the stunt double <laughs> sliding into the hay bale. Ah, damn. Rats. Susie, played by Amy Poehler, and Ben still need to pull off a sensational talent show, which they do, even though everyone boos after the Godspell number. Steve, uh, JJ's brother, oh, oh, wait, played wait, by... Do, wait, do you guys get why they booed after that? Because camp kids are mean? Because it ends with a glowing cross and the camp kids are jewish that's not why they boo that's why that yes yes I mean, it I, is that I is the joke part of it yeah <laughs> back to my uncircumcised penis jokes uh, yes, i yes, i believe the camp kids do not, appla- the, do not approve of the, of the there, Christian there are a lot of jokes like that such as when coop is on the phone with his dad telling him about his new girlfriend her nose the, is big he's like i don't know dad well her nose is big <laughs> <laughs> which is obviously offensive Shalom. yeah you know but I, I there's also even, the role. You're the sometimes roll late for shul for no reason. Yeah. reason. <laughs> there's the roll call, roll call at dinner. Like everybody needs to have their bags packed. And Janine Gruffle is going through the names. Yeah. I have. She lists have... off the first prime minister of Israel. Yeah. No, I think, I think, I think there was a joke there. <laughs> I have, I have absolutely done that. Just started making up kids' names uh, because 
most of the kids at the summer camp that I worked at were, were Jewish. It's a good time. So they got to pull off the talent show. Uh, Steve, who's JJ's brother and played by Kevin Stewart Sussman from Big Bang Theory. Uh, he gets some time to show off his superpowers. He has superpowers. Is that a powder reference? Is that what that is? I don't know. They're showing uh, us the fever. I have no idea. But higher I, and higher. I do think he's the one who saves the camp. He not, does save the camp. Yeah. yeah it's not. The, uh, no, it's not the, the. It's not David Hyde Pierce and his spam uh, relay machine. And his Dungeons and Dragons uh, 28 sided we'll, die. We miscalculated. This is D20. a 20 sided dice. <laughs> it's a D20. Thank you very much. So. Where's Captain Cash for this? I'm sure he could D20 us all. I have no doubt. We also get a trip to town where some beers, cigarettes, and a joint devolve into uh, straight up hardcore drug use. Town? You mean Waterville, Maine, the home oh. of Colby College? Well, you know, I've been there. I've been yeah, to Waterville, that's, Maine. That's it's exactly that's exactly what we mean. This is that's that is town. That's town. Waterville, nice place. We have a dance montage. Capture the flag happens. Uh, there was going to be a sick softball game with Camp Tiger Claw, but it feels a little cliche, so we don't do it. That yeah. was funny. The that apathetic funny. kids don't want to play softball, so the game is canceled. Yeah, that's great. Uh, and, and the other team's like, totally understand. The yeah, best yeah. part about Capture the Flag is Michael Ian Black speedwalking as they chase after the uh, <laughs> long-distance runner who has the flag. Uh, let's see. Uh, Coop and Katie do hook up, but then Katie leaves him the next day for Andy again because he's hot. Victor never does get with Abby because you snooze, you lose. She's uh, too busy with Moose. Beth and Henry get together. Skylab doesn't crush the talent show. Uh, the movie ends. So, yeah, there's not really one plot at all, but, hey, that's camp. But they do tie everything up in a bow. They do. It's all very nicely packaged at the end. Yeah. Yeah, Coop Coop gets let down kind of hard, and he he walks off to probably service Janine Garofalo, presumably. Only if he's lucky, because she is conventionally attractive, and they're the she same. She is, age. and uh, there's no reason that shouldn't happen. Uh, okay, so that gets us through the plot. Gentlemen, Wet Hot American Summer, how many beers are required? Let's start with the bummer, Chumzilla. Oh, just three beers. Um, yeah. The movie is not without its charms, and it definitely has its moments. And if you're familiar with most of the cast's work, you're going to find it entertaining. And again, as a fan of the state, I I had no problem getting through this movie. But sadly, I do understand why it wasn't a bigger hit. There, It just, uh, yeah, it, it does lack some sort of pop to push it over the edge. Fine. Yeah. God, bring me, bring me the can of vegetables, please. Uh, this is a three enjoyment beer movie. It's only an hour and 27 minutes. This movie's infinitely rewatchable. I watch it all the time. I love it. I love the sequel series. I love the prequel series. The characters are totally enduring and endearing. This is a great show. A great movie. Great, great movie. I love it. And it's a cult classic for a reason. Hard agree on all fronts. Uh, I'm right there. I give it four beers, three enjoyment, and an extra. Uh, I'm not going to call it pain, 
But I think it's nice to have that extra one just to kind of soften the madness that is this movie jumping around quite a bit and trying to keep track of everything. But that's part of why it's so rewatchable to your point, right? Like there's yeah. so much that happens in it. You can watch it over and over again and, and catch and, new stuff. And you can casually pay attention to some of the stuff you don't think is as funny. And then like, oh, oh here's Gene. I'm going to perk back up because anytime Gene's on screen, it's it's can't miss. It's going to be great. He's going to throw a fork and some potatoes. Yeah. And like when he slams the kitchen door into Amy Poehler (laughs) to announce, like, (laughs) I'm tired of hiding who I am. It's so good. Uh, All right. So that's going to take us into our first break. We are going to hear from our bunk mate over at the Double Turn podcast, our buddy, the J-Man. So we will catch you on the flip side. Hey everyone, it's the J-Man and I'm the host of the Double Turn Podcast. Every month, myself and a featured guest bring you the best in pro wrestling talk. Whether it's previews and reviews on pay-per-view events, discussing the hottest topics in the industry, or taking a look back at some of the greatest matches and moments in history. So check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and the Anchor app. And give us a follow on Twitter at TDT Wrestling Pod and on Instagram at The Double Turn Podcast. And don't forget to check out our home base at wabamentertainment.com for all your comic book and movie needs. And check out our sister podcast, Hops and Box Office Flops. Enjoy, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Welcome back. We are continuing our look at uh, Wet Hot American Summer on our 208th episode of Hops and Box Office Flops. And we have some lingering questions, so let's get right into them, gentlemen. Number one, there's a lot of ridiculous bits in this movie. Which is your favorite? T-Dubs, we'll start with you. Gene is is my favorite uh, bit in the movie. Crazy Gene, the mentally disturbed Vietnam veteran, 100% is, is the best part of the movie. Uh, and I already did mention Paul Rudd throwing the kids out of the van after he's murdered two children in the lake. So is that Paul Rudd or is that the other guys on the canoe trip? No, that's Paul Rudd because they're like, oh, you know too much. When's my turn? And then they it, immediately go to him getting tossed out of the van. Tossed them out on the way back from the yeah. pool. It, it, it is the same van, though, in case you're wondering. Okay, that, that, got <laughs> Again, got nothing, nothing matters in this movie. No, understood. Well, 1.8 million. Uh, it is the same van. Okay, no, that makes sense. I, and got honestly, it, a, like a third candidate I have is David Hyde Pierce and the, the Skylab subplot where he's like, I can't tell you right now. Meet me at the picnic table in 10 seconds. And she goes over there and he's his lab coat and all the kids are around. <laughs> he's like, do you remember 10 seconds ago when I told you to meet me at the picnic table? I think the, the other one between them that I love uh, is when uh, he, she, he asks her, like, so do you work at the camp? And she says, like, yes, I'm the camp director. What about you? No, no, no I, I don't work. I don't there. work at the camp. She's like, yeah, I, I know that. I, I know. Oh I'm yeah, not. you would know that. You're, you're the camp director. <laughs> the director. I or they go to the library to look up camp. books on what camp directing. Where would I find books on camp directing? The library. 
<laughs> it's right next to the astrophysics aisle. Yeah, astrophysics on one aisle, camp directing on the other. Like that would be a, a, a heading in the library. It's great. I mean, you guys clearly don't know the Dewey Decimal System, but that's okay. Uh, Chumpy, did you have a favorite bit? Oh, I was going to say Gene, too. Um, for me, in a movie that, you know, dances between emotional beats and absurdity, I think the most consistent was Gene's beat of just being bonkers the entire time. And the fact that they do give him that grand finale for him to just kind of lose it. I think that's great. And the fact that it's the, the law and order guy too, like here's oh, no, a no. bonus point seeing that now, I think at the time it might not have been as, you know, bizarre, but now the fact that it's the law and order don't don't guy, you're like, Oh wow. Okay. That guy, well, that guy can be funny. No kidding. Well, let me tell you, Chumzilla, as a fan of Oz and I was allowed to watch Oz at an age, I probably shouldn't have been watching Oz to see the guy who broke all of uh, Beecher's limbs, his arms and legs with the help of a neo-Nazi, uh, then become this like comic relief guy. It's like, oh, huh. Because I saw these pretty close. Yeah, because he was he was uh, he he was like sexually ambiguous on Oz too, right? Well, he was pretty much. I mean, they wound up being in love. Like that was like it was like a weird, you know, whatever. It was, but it was like a serious, dramatic. It was a very, very dramatic show, and he was very disturbed. I mean, he sexually assaulted a nun on that show. Not like he didn't fully on rape her, but he definitely assaulted her in a way that she would not. You know, she he he fondled the, the nun. Yeah. So to see him, like when I first saw this, I'm like, oh whoa, there's a. There he now is. he's here fondling yeah. his sweaters. Yeah, was that an was that was that a uh, Ed Wood reference with the sweaters? Was he, was he big, my sweaters? No, I think he was just doing saying weird things. Was you know? he a big cashmere fan? I mean, he Where, is sort of a Carl Spackler esque character, just saying whatever comes to mind. Yeah, and, and who sweater. knows how much of it was improv? I don't really recall the. There's a documentary. Do you know where about the powder movie. packets are? Yeah. Over the sink, but next to my bottle of dick cream. So yeah. what's wrong with dick cream? Who doesn't have dick cream? Wait, you guys don't have dick cream? I said stick team. Note to self. Get ass wart cream for giant wart on ass. Uh all right. Well, for me, I think I really enjoyed the uh the the Victor Neal dynamic. Uh, you know, the 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 van ride to the river. Victor having to get back to sleep with the camp whore because he has to lose his virginity before camp is over because he's been living a lie all this time. Uh, the the hilarious bike motorcycle chase that it's all just ridiculous. Like the hilarious. fact that, that yeah that, that Joe Lo Triglio is like uh, I guess I don't know how to get you back so I have to leave you yeah. on the river to go find help and the kids just- like okay. abandons the the kids on the river the The fact that they show that clip of the kids three times and they're not moving Uh and then when they get there there's a kid who's like laughing because he just can't contain himself and they're like you know what forget it we're not reshooting this (laughs) like it's fine it's it's definitely uh, nobody was buying it anyway like it wasn't like oh now i can't believe it yeah. Well, and the best part is you're watching the movie and at the, at the point it gets to the talent show section. And I'm like, 
hey, whatever happened to the river kids? And then the motorcycle shows up. <laughs> like, oh, there they are. Okay, the, mo the movie knew it's time to bring them back. <laughs> it's been like 30 minutes and we haven't checked in on them. <laughs> Only you can save them, Victor Pulak. So, so does anybody win the movie? Paul Rudd. I'll go first. I'll go first. Wait, what? What'd you say? Paul Rudd. You know, oh my I God. I assumed you were going to say Maloney. So I, I, I would say Maloney. But as I told you before the podcast, my current favorite wrestler, Orange Cassidy, modeled his entire gimmick after Andy. He even comes out to Jane by Jefferson Starship. And he wears the jean jacket and the sunglasses. And his whole shtick is he doesn't try or care. And then once the match ramps up, that's when he ramps up. But he does fake kicks and fake punches. He gets the crowd going to all the fake stuff. It's incredible. His whole thing is being apathetic. I don't give a shit. And then all of a sudden he does give a shit. And somebody brought that up to Paul Rudd on a podcast. And he's like, I didn't know that. That's so awesome. That's fantastic. I, I'm with you. I think that it's, I love Paul Rudd in this because he's got some great lines. Uh, I love the swinging around the pole while flipping off his girlfriend. I try to do that to my wife whenever I can. And he plays unlikable so well in this movie, which is so out of character for him. I, because I enjoyed it. So always likable. What about when he has to pick up his lunch tray? The, so the mannerisms. <laughs> like, <sighs> dragging himself around by his yeah. belly button. <laughs> it's so good. Chumpy, what do you hate about this movie? No, I, I would honestly give it to Michael Showalter. I think um, aside from writing it, this is probably his biggest uh, cinematic achievement. And I'm surprised that guy didn't get more work. I feel like, you know, he was a, a funny comedic actor. He was funny in the state. Uh, he was essentially the emotional through line of this film. And I'm surprised he didn't get more work after this. I mean, he did, but he ne his career never took off like Paul Rudd uh, or some of so, the other cast members that went on to do like Reno 911 and other things. Yeah, I believe a friend of mine, and this could be wrong, but somebody told me he's an asshole. Well, I wouldn't be shocked by that completely, but that is kind of disappointing. You know, what's funny, though, is he doesn't even win first day of camp or 10 years later even though he plays Ronald Reagan at points as this unhinged maniac who wants to bomb the camp, which is awesome, but there's just characters in those two series that steal the show. And so he doesn't win any of the, the, and like, I mean, this thing primarily happened again because of him and, and Wayne. So everyone else was like, okay, yeah, we'll come back. Sure. Why not? Yeah. And, and like I said, like, you know, obviously Wayne and the other cast members from the state have gone on to do other projects together. Uh, Party Down. Yeah, Marino and Jolo Trujillo. Yeah, Tru Trujillo was on uh, Reno, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. No, uh, Nine -Nine. Yeah. Uh, he's, he was in Super Bad. He's been in countless things. Like They all did a lot of stuff. Yeah. But yeah, I, 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 yeah, anyway. But yeah, I, I thought uh, that Showalter really showed out in this, but this was kind of his uh, magnum opus and it was a uh, one and done. Yeah, I mean, I think he, uh, you know, primarily put himself out there as as a writer, though. So, I mean, it's just one of those things where that's where he gets his, his work from. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so, great. Why did this movie flop, 
Trumpzilla, I know you have some opinions on this. Tell me, tell me why. Well, I mean, I think there's there's two things that stick out to me. One, it can't decide whether it wants to be a straight up parody or a, a sex comedy. Uh, it's not that either one of those is bad, but it just bounces between the two things and it never really settles on one. And I think that hurts. And it's secondly, 100% not a sex comedy, though. It's per it's it's intentionally riffing on those by having the guys peek behind the trees and like, oh, look, the girls are in the lake playing, yeah. kicking a volleyball around. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I get I get that. But like it's uh, it doesn't capitalize on that. If that's the case. And then secondly, yeah, I think it just got one too many subplots. Like the movie, the movie gets diluted by the fact that it's so spread out. And even though some of the things do come back and they do give them closure, it just, it's just too much. Um, the only characters that feel real in this are basically the, that love triangle, that central love triangle and everything else kind of feels um, two dimensional. You only, you only get a handful of three-dimensional characters. And again, that goes back to my first point. Should the characters be three-dimensional at all, or should they be two-dimensional? Is this just a straight-up uh, comedy parody, or do we care about these people? What are we doing? Just quick question. Is is Detective Frank Drebin a three-dimensional character? Who's Frank Drebin? Come on, dude. Naked Gun. This is this is just a stupid movie full of he's stupid two, things. He's two, he's two dimensional, and the whole yeah. movie's two dimensional. I, this, and I, that's the is, point. That's what this movie is. Well, it's a I, gag movie. I, I is it? I don't know. I don't yes, know if I agree it, with that. They're doing heroin in a drug den, mm-hmm. okay, and then that, they show back up to camp. Like, isn't that fun? Look at all the cool shit you can do in an hour. That 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 yeah that to me that's one of those scenes that may have not worked. Like they just, you know, Waterville, Maine's not that rough. I've been there. That's the point. Oh, all right. I th- I think that you are overthinking this, Chumpzilla. I okay, think no, that's fair. I think the reason why this movie flopped is that none of these people were really relevant, you know, box office draws in 2001. That's true. Camp is already a niche subject. We've seen other camp movies that don't perform that well. So when nobody picked up the distribution and somebody took it for a tiny deal, they didn't put any weight behind it. It's yeah. not very surprising. And they just didn't put it in very many theaters. As so, soon yeah. as it hit dorm rooms in 2002 and 2003 on block at, from Blockbuster and shit, yeah, it, was on DVD. it blew up yeah. and became a cult classic and everyone knew it. I probably didn't yeah. watch it until 2003 and I worked at camps. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was the key demographic and I never even knew about it. Like the internet wasn't a big enough thing at that point in time. Social media didn't exist. There was no like grassroots way to promote a movie. Yeah. And so it didn't happen until it got released on video. And that's just uh, like Big Lebowski yeah. didn't didn't do well yeah, in the theaters no, for the exact same reasons. You can make a very uh, solid comparison there. Uh, now that movie had a little bit more star power behind it, but not For like sure. in not but not like in the uh, like pop culture sense. Nobody was busting out to see the next Jeff Bridges movie, right? There was like, no there was no like bank he's a name star in that movie at that. He's time. a name. John Goodman's a name. Bushimi's a name, but nobody's like, oh, I gotta go see that. <laughs> 
but they're yeah. much but they're all three of those are much bigger names now because of that movie than they were when well, yeah and their and their careers but, but to your point about this film I mean, bridges was still very famous yeah family name it's a family name it's not like he was individually famous right but the point being though for this movie a lot of like working comedians were in it a lot of hollywood quote-unquote actors were in it but you're right there's no big hook there's no big like oh this is the guy movie you got to go see this guy or this lady in this well, it film, was right? it was independent and so because yeah. there was no draw it became very hard for them to pick up distribution like it's it it premiered at sundance to i think three or four consecutive completely sold out shows people liked it at sundance but they also couldn't convince anybody that like yeah. Well, that, that the yeah. rest of the world would come see it when you put it in theaters because there was no draw. So yeah, there was, there's no big, truly big name behind it. Here's now. the comparison point, but you're right. There's no stars in the movie. And Janine Garofalo, even though she was in movies, she's not, she wasn't a leading lady, right? Like she's in. Not since movies. the truth about cats and dogs. Yeah. So dogma, this is what I would call an overboard scenario, right? Like overboards is a terrible movie. This isn't terrible, but Adam Sandler did. And then all of a sudden he got famous oh. and they're like, oh, let's put this out on video. I thought you were about to talk shit about the Goldie Hawn Kurt yeah. Russell movie. No. I was like, bro, we're going to have problems. Isn't that going overboard? One of them is going and one of them is just overboard. But regardless, so this is a uh, raw deal. Schwarzenegger did that movie. Uh doesn't get released. Nobody nobody wants to pick it up. All of a sudden, he hits with Commando, Predator. They're like, oh, we got to get Raw Deal out. They're, if if you're not famous, like, they weren't famous enough. And then all of a sudden, they were all famous enough. Like, you know, you like the state, Chumpzilla. Yes. And I get it. Like, I watched it too. But the, that was a niche show. It was. It and then was. all of a sudden, very... Bradley Cooper blows up. And yeah. uh, Paul Rudd really blows up. And other people in the movie blow up. They're like, have you ever seen that movie with the, all these guys in it? Oh, oh no, I've never yeah. seen that. I should see that. And that's how a movie like this ends up being a cult classic. So, but, hey, T-Dubs, quick question. Like, how would you feel about an original promotional poster for Rod Deal for $22? I would buy it. I, I should have bought that then. I would have to find a place for it with all my other posters. But I mean... Yeah. I mean, it's. I had I had a seller on eBay make an offer to me. They're like, I got this original 1986, I think it is, Rod Deal poster. You want for twenty two dollars? I didn't buy it. I should have bought it. What is wrong with you? I don't know. I was was Uh, thinking of you though, brother. I was thinking. Yeah. No, I mean, but that's the thing. There's there's other examples of that where all of a sudden. Yeah. Now now the movie is marketable. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of it's either been on the back shelf or it's been lightly released, but now we can push it. Puddle Cruiser by Broken Lizard. Oh like, yeah, that yeah, movie. They the rugby it. movie. That's a rugby movie. The movie they filmed at their college, which you know got very limited release, and all of a sudden Super Troopers is the biggest thing in the world, which made a ton of money, and they're like, put it out. And of course, I watched it, and it, you know, it's obviously a first film. You know, this movie, I love it, but it has its problems, right? It's not like a super tight goofball movie. No, it feel it feels like a early film in some but this career. is it this does. is so much like if Caddyshack doesn't have Dangerfield and Chevy Chase and Bill Murray, who was popular at the time, does mm-hmm. anybody watch Caddyshack? 
even like say the performances are just as good. Nobody watches that movie at the time unless 100%. you have those guys. Why do we have to shit on Harold Ramis like that? No, it's just it's just the fact of the matter. Like Animal House had Belushi. People want to see Belushi. Yep. So I'm gonna I'm gonna So basically this is this is Animal House. Got it. This no, is this I'm just I can't get it's an ensemble thing, you know. It's, it's, it not is, that far it is. it's not that far off from Animal Well, Animal well, House no. is the one that you make the parody of, actually, so it's fine. Well, no, but, but the point is this movie did catch on because so many of the people in it got more famous and people go back to look at it. Fair enough. Fair enough. So I'm going to do these out of order now. Um, but we've now gotten a prequel series and a sequel series to this. I just think this is going to segue better in terms of timing. Um, we, you know, obviously this movie got a lot of traction and enough that we got these movies later on. Um, I think 15 years after the original release. Have you seen enough of Camp Firewood? There was there was talk of a uh, of a sitcom, you know. Oh yeah, you know, no. I don't happening. I don't need that uh, because nobody will come back for that. So you can do a eight episode Netflix series and get Paul Rudd and 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 Michael Ian Black and those guys back, and you could probably get Michael Ian Black back for a, a sitcom. For a series, yeah. There's a lot of the, the the key characters you're just not getting back for a sitcom. Uh, I've seen enough because ten years later, I did not like as much as First Day of Camp. First Day of Camp, I thought like really tied a lot of these like weird things that you'd hear throughout this movie together. And it worked super well. And plus, Chris Pine was in it, which was glorious. Uh, he is the best Chris, fact. Uh, and then 10 years later, it was still fun. But by that point, I'd I'd had my fill. And that also came two years after first day of camp. So yeah, there wasn't that same like, holy shit, they're actually doing this again. So, so you don't feel the need to return to Firewood again? No, I think you could do another movie. I don't need another eight episodes. Mm-hmm. But honestly, it's like, what what else do you have to do here? I don't know. It got I, it, so off the rails. So. It, feel, it feels like pretty well-worn ground at this point in time. Yeah. Yeah, Chumpy, in agreeance? And that's not a word? Yeah, well, yeah, I'm just uh, not sure where else the story needs to go from my perspective. Like, this film, it, it ends on a somewhat awkward note, but even with the uh, the prequel and the post-school series, I... I, I don't, I'm not sure where the story needs to go. So just, yeah, I've seen enough. Jumpzilla, do me a favor. Watch First Day of Camp. First Day of Camp. Watch that's, it. That's the Netflix series. Yeah. You don't have to watch 10 years later, but you have to watch First Day of Camp. Okay. I personally would sign Which, up for... Is that a bookend since this is technically the last day of camp? Is that exactly yes. correct? So, so and, much. Molly Shannon's entire like tragedy unfolds Plays out. Yeah. yeah and it is and, incredible and, and and listeners if if what i've read is correct it is the original actors not de-aged at all no effects or nothing oh just, no just yeah, playing no. their younger selves as well not, as possible, not true right? paul rudd looks exactly the same okay yeah. he, he, okay fair enough but he's not de-aged he's just a vampire because that was that was already one of the shticks of this movie right that they were all in their 
early yeah. 30s late and, 20s and the end of the movie ends with like i'm 16 i'm just not yeah. in the, you know like i'm not in the mood for like i'm not looking for stability in my life i just want to have sex and i want to have sex with andy specifically with andy <laughs> yeah. not with you well you know i mean it, it was paul rudd so I mean, yeah, okay, I agree. yeah. If I have right a choice on. of have sex with Paul Rudd or Michael Showalter, I think we all know who I'm choosing. Um, Molly Shannon. Well, that's what I was going to say. Actually, was that's that's the show that I would sign up for. I want to see the Molly Shannon and Camper Aaron spinoff series where they're living in Santa Fe in some weird artist commune. That's going to be like one of those TLC sister wives shows. Gross. Yeah, because it'd be funny now because that kid's probably like in his late twenties. Okay, the only <laughs> spinoff series I want is Gene in Vietnam. And essentially, he's just the Punisher. He is Frank Castle. Dude, I've seen... Gene was a cook I've in Vietnam. Seen, we know that, right? I have seen Platoon. I know how this ends. Oh, wait, so he's Casey Ryback from... <laughs> no. Yeah, he's from, he, the Navy SEAL turned shit-panting uh, no, chef. he's going to get shot by Charlie Sheen. Can't frag by his own troops. All right. So my last question has nothing to really do with this movie specifically, but which is the better summer camp comedy? Wet Hot American Summer or the OG Meatballs? Ooh. Uh, meatballs. I really love Meatballs. I really, really love Meatballs. Uh, it was a hit. It's, it's not the definitive Bill Murray comedy. It's not. I'm going. It's got, it's got Harold Ramis. I'm going with this. Hmm. I have to. Convi- convicted. Convicted. Because no. Bill Murray is Never just doing convicted. the character that becomes Bill Murray for the rest of his career. Well, Chevy and, Chase has the same problem. And Andy is a totally unique and incredible thing, and so is Gene. And I, yeah, know this. I love meatballs, but I'm going with this. I watched meatballs ahead of this for the first time in a very long time, and I will stick with meatballs. Meatballs is so good, and it gives us a lot of the. Uh, it gives us a lot of the gags that show up in this, right? You know, everything from the the morning announcements and um, just all kinds of stuff that happens. But for me. I, I watched this movie, you know, at camp when I was on staff quite a bit. And so for me, I think it, it remains wet, hot American summer, even though, uh, you know, like you said, T-Dubs, Meatballs holds a very special place in my heart. And my first job at camp, uh, when I when I started, when I went from the Boy Scouts to private camps, my first job was as the tripping director so everybody called me Tripper Blake that summer, and uh, it felt it felt super cool. I mean, that name. yeah, I could see you being Tripper. Yeah. yeah, that sounds pretty awesome. Is that like a? I could see Chump Still being like the guy Trapper who eats John? all the hot dogs and wins. Exactly, that. it's like Tripper <laughs> Harrison is what it is. All right, boys, uh, that brings us into our second break. Listeners, we are going to refresh our beers. Maybe we don't need them, but uh, when we come back. We're going to have the Capture the Flag Trivia Challenge. So don't go anywhere. We'll see you here in just a few minutes. (laughs) 
Welcome back, listener, to the 208th episode of Hops and Box Office Flops. We are breaking down the best summer camp comedy movie of all time, Wet Hot American Summer. And we are going to get into our Capture the Flag trivia challenge. Gentlemen, this week, I have big news for you. This week, you are going to be playing for Coop's favorite flannel, which just came back uh, from his camp footlocker. It's a wonderful prize. It is very warm. Uh, It'll keep you absolutely snug on those cool camp afternoons at the stables. Are we really doing this? Sweet. Keep changing shirts. I haven't seen a woman sniff a long-sleeved garment that voraciously since the the woman chanting to Aquaman in the Snyder Cut. Oh, no. He inhaled oh. his musk. I got to tell you, I had so a much huge musk. crush on Connie Moreau for a long time. Oh. So going back, oh, Connie, I'd be your wingman anytime. I'd play on the opposite wing. I'll do whatever you need. Guy Germain can take a fucking hike. Is that a Mighty Ducks reference? Is that Damn, right? That's, yeah. That, yeah, that, okay. that was the Connie. Yeah. Yeah, the Connie. Yeah. So, gentlemen, we have our standard five question multi choice format quiz. Winner is taking home Coop's flannel. Mm. Question number one The fictional Camp Firewood is set near the very real town of Waterville, Maine. The movie is based on the writer's experiences at camps in Ohio, Maine, and Massachusetts. Where was this movie filmed? Was it A, Camp Tawanda in Honesdale, Pennsylvania? Was it B, Camp Chewonky in Wicasset, Maine? Was it C, Camp Shattagay in Merrill, New York? Or was it D, Camp Wabanong in Brattleboro, Vermont? Farts and tarts. Chumpzilla. The answer is A. Yeah, that's what I thought it was. And I should know that because I have watched the documentary uh, Hurricane of Fun, which you should also watch if you love this movie. It's on Netflix, right? I, I have no idea why this isn't on Netflix since they own the prequel and sequel series. Yeah, yeah and yeah. it... Uh, they, they don't apparently own this. And yeah, you can't stream it anywhere. Um, no, for rent only. And, uh, you know, I didn't do any chime-ins this week. That was, is, that that right? is, was that right? I, I like that was that right? I am remiss. You you were, you are rec- you were correct, uh, yes. Tessa. It was Camp Tawanda and Honesdale, PA. All, the other three are all actual camps, though. Those are all real, real places. Well, you went to one, Blake. I, I worked at I one. remember. <laughs> I was wondering if anyone was going to pick up on that or not. I was I'm like, a good friend, okay. <laughs> you got a good memory. I'll give you that. So, yeah, do you guys have any chime-ins you want to use besides the, the pod oh, standards? I'm obviously going with your mouth tastes like burgers. <laughs> your mouth you tastes like burgers? Me. Yeah. <laughs> I want you inside me. What? Nothing. I'm what? Just, Nothing. Doing, just doing what we're doing. <laughs> You don't want to do a Henry. Fuck my cock. Sorry. I said no. I got that in tonight. (laughs) Yeah. You know what? This movie is full of one-liners. Use anyone that you would like. uh, Or, of course, the, the pod standards. Question number two. Jim Stansel 
makes appearances in other David Wayne films, even though he's only mentioned in this one. Which of these actors has not played Jim Stansel? Is it A, Ken Marino? Is it B, Michael Sarah? Is it C, Jolo Truglio? Or is it D, Reed Burney? Chumpzilla, I should go first. I want you inside me. Chumpzilla. Michael Sarah. That is incorrect. Oh, no. Your mouth tastes like burgers. Uh, I'm going to go with Ken Marino because I feel like Jolo would do it. And I don't know who the other guy is. So, yeah. Uh, That is also incorrect. Oh, shit. Mm. So Ken Marino plays. uh, So Jim Stansel, he's that guy, you know, from the thing that Janine Garofalo mentions when she uh, gets asked about astrophysicists and has to leave. Uh, But Ken Marino plays the role of Jim Stansel in Role Models. He's the stepdad Ah. of Augie. Oh, I should have known that. That's bad. I mean, I haven't Uh, seen that in a while. Minotaur. Minotaur. The shit's poison. Uh, Michael Sarah does, uh, he plays Jim Stansel in the Wet Hot American Summer First Day of Camp series. He is the lawyer. Oh, shit. Um, Reed Burney is just some guy. I don't know who he is, but he played uh, a character named Jim Stansel in The Ten, which is a David Wade movie about the Ten Commandments. Uh, Joe Lowe is the only one that has not played a Jim Stansel. In no a David Wayne movie. Wow. Yep. So, uh, bonus point. Does anybody know where Jim Stansel's name comes from? Zero idea. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. apparently, there was a guy named Jim Stansel that was a colleague of David Wayne's father when they were growing up. And they had this uh, home movie where Jim Stansel was in a hot air balloon promoting a local car dealership. And on the audio of this video of them filming this hot air balloon, you can hear David Wayne's father going, that's Jim Stansel. That's Jim Stansel. And Wayne thought it was a great name. And so it makes appearances in almost all of his projects. Absolutely. I'd buy that for a dollar. That's <laughs> that's literally what the doctor told me when I got diagnosed with shingles. <laughs> I'd I told buy him that I thought I, I told him I thought I had shingles, and he looked at me. And he was like, "Yeah, I'd buy that for a dollar." Uh, you should probably try to find a doctor that's not Paul Verhoeven. He was a very um, Dutch. Uh, no, he no, he was. Uh, it, it was it was in the Adirondacks. He was a North Country guy through and through. Mm. Right. Question number three: What Hot American Summer features many actors that also appeared on the state? MTV's early 90s sketch comedy show named after the comedy troupe of the same name. Which of these actors was not on the state? A. Michael Showalter. B. Jolo Truglio. C. Ken Marino. D. Zach Orth. Or E. Michael Ian Black. Arts and Tarts. Thunderous Wizard. Orf. That is correct. He was just You're doing in... shitty Freddie Prinze movies. 
your encyclopedic uh, recall comes in handy once again. Not only you know what summer camp I worked at, you remember that Zach Orth was not on the state. Question number four. It's tied up, gentlemen. Going into question number four. Michael Showalter met Wayne and several of the other Wet Hot American Summer slash the state actors while attending film school at NYU. But he did not graduate from there. He transferred. Where did he finish his degree? A. Princeton. B. Brown. C. Harvard. Or D. Yale. Wow, I was expecting somewhere less prestigious. Like Case Western. Like UCLA yeah. or Florida State. Yeah. <laughs> you got a film degree from Bowling Green or something. <laughs> yeah, give us give us those again, Bling Blake. Uh, it's all the Ivy League schools. Minus Dartmouth. Princeton, A. B, Brown. C, Harvard. D, Yale. Jeez, farts and all the tarts. I'm going to go with Yale. Trumpzilla. I know we didn't start there. That is incorrect. Ah, oh, damn. I don't like you anymore. Uh, Brown. I'm going with Brown. Thunderous Wizard, the New York-based Ivy League school is correct. Hmm. He went to Brown and maintained his relationships with all of his friends from NYU. Isn't Cornell also New York based? Uh, isn't that Ithaca? Is it like Ithaca? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Damn. Well, Cornell's right. where all the Broken Lizard guys went, correct? Uh, oh, really? I think, I think so. so. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's where Andy Bernard went. Hmm. Faith, Faith is my song. So just, you know, just so you know. <laughs> just so you know. That's the Nard Dogs. You guys, you elitist, you East Coast elitist. Question, you live the furthest east of anybody. Question number five. Paul Rudd was the narrator for one season of Hard Knocks. Which NFL team was on Hard Knocks that season? Was it A, the New York Jets? Was it B, the Indianapolis Colts? Was it C, the Kansas City Chiefs? Or was it D, the Los Angeles Rams? Farts and tarts. Farts and tarts. Ah, oh, fuck. It's the Chiefs. Yeah, he's a Kansas City guy. It was, in fact, the Chiefs. Just like R- Rob Riggle, another Kansas City guy. Yeah. And Jason Sudeikis. Yeah, well, you know what? They can all blow goats because fuck the Chiefs. Go Bills. Uh, uh day. Yep. Paul Rudd did go to school at Kansas State. That's where he went to film school. That's much less prestigious than Brown. Um, Gross. Bonus bonus question. Not that it matters because you can't catch up at this point. Chumpzilla. But do you guys know who narrates every other season of Leave Schreiber. That is correct. You get four points now. (laughs) Dude, don't question about my Leave Schreiber love. (laughs) I got rubber hands sitting in my <laughs> rubber office. Fingernails, rubber hands. Rubber, rubber fingernails, man. They're going to get you. Rubber get hands you. and a steel trap mine. Thunderous Wizard, you are taking home Coop's favorite flannel uh, as your trophy this week. I'll get that, get that in the mail to you. Toot sweet. 
All right, boys. Well, that brings us into recommendations. And uh, T-Dubs, why don't we start with you? All right. So I, I have quite a bit to recommend again. Uh, oh, so after our last pod, my wife and I rented Blackberry, uh, which is a movie about the rise and fall of the Blackberry starring Glenn Howerton and Jay Baruchel as the key to the key people. It's a fascinating story. Uh, and I never really realized that BlackBerry at one point had like 47 and a half percent of the cell phone yeah. market. Yeah, they did. Uh, right. And insane. So it's just a tremendous fall from grace. Uh, so watch that. It, it was a really good movie. It's uh, not a hundred percent their fault. T-dubs. Yeah. Right. But like, no, but they, yeah, they, I mean, they were the first ones there and they had that lion's share of the market. And they were totally gobsmacked by the announcement of the iPhone and had yeah, no just, idea what to do. And no, just blindsided them. Completely. They had literally every US government employee had a Blackberry. Yeah. Like oh, and I, I had and friends even, that were still using the Blackberries for a long time. And to their defense, their email service was amazing. Their email mm. servers were top notch. That they they literally could have ruled the world, but yeah, they they just they had a blind spot, and Apple just ramrodded them. Stay it's amazing. I, I I just know the story. I don't know the whole story, so I should probably watch. This. No, you should watch it because a lot of yeah. uh, essentially the main guy should have went to prison for a long time, but because BlackBerry's email servers and tech servers servers were private. They couldn't get like all the mm-hmm. incriminating evidence, but our boy Sal Rubinek, the cocaine addicted producer from True Romance, also in it, and he's nice. Really great. Nice. Um, I saw Mutant Mayhem, Ninja Turtles, the new movie. I loved it. My oh, kids loved oh, it. Yeah. Uh, definitely see it in theaters if you can. Uh, felt very reminiscent of Into the Spider Verse. Very good hip hop soundtrack. Cool animation. Bringing the turtles to a new generation. So big thumbs up uh, to that. And uh, I had I had other stuff and no, it's kind of escaping me, but uh, definitely check out the, the sequel and prequel series of Wet Hot American Summer on Netflix. And most specifically the documentary, because it is so kind of surreal to see all these people who went on to be huge stars, like basically just having the time of their lives yeah, and not knowing- Right before they got famous. Not knowing that, their entire universes were about to change and that's called hurricane of fun. So yeah, but definitely watch Blackberry and definitely watch mutant mayhem. If you can mm. highly recommend both. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, Chumzilla. What do you have for us, buddy? Uh, you can catch the state, the 1990s sketch comedy uh, show with many of the players from wet, hot American summer, uh featured prominently on paramount plus the state check it out i love michael Schultz-Walter's character doug whatever man i'm out of he 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 here you know it's just uh it's it's a time capsule the 90s it's it might not hit for the younger crowd but if you're like the aging millennial self-identifying gen x crowd this will definitely remind you like oh yeah that was the kind of comedy we had in the 90s it's good stuff the state paramount plus check it out 
Awesome. And, then, and then if that piques your interest, spend $4 and rent Wet Hot American Summer. You should not need to watch The State and like it to rent Wet Hot American Summer. You, you should might need rent to. this movie. You should buy this movie. You should own this movie. Honestly, this movie is $4 to rent and $14 to buy. Just buy it. Just You're going to watch this more than four times. Easy. I can assure you. Easy. So my recommendation this week is a David Wayne-directed film called A Futile and Stupid Gesture. It is streaming on Netflix, and it is about the creation of the National Lampoon, both as a publication and then you know the media empire that it became, specifically focusing on Doug Kenny, played by Will Forte. Uh, it's, a, it's a really, really good movie. It's really well acted. If you... If you loved, uh, you know, Caddyshack and the early National Lampoon movies, you're really going to appreciate this. Um, nice. It focuses a lot on the on the making of Caddyshack, and unfortunately, Caddyshack Two as well. Um, oh, oh no! Which, you know, I mean, I not to, I don't want to give any spoilers away, but some of it is it is real history. Um, you know, there are many people that think that you know Caddyshack Two was the reason why we don't have Doug Kenny around anymore. So um, it's, but it's a, it's a really great film and I, I can't recommend it enough. Did but you go for Kellen? Other, otherwise I was very, uh, I was very busy this week. So I didn't really consume a lot of new media. So that's all I got for you. Well, to piggyback on that, you can, you can, um, you know, I recommended the last action heroes by Nick DeSemlin. And uh, he also wrote a book about seventies uh, and eighties comedians who I hold particularly close to my heart and guys that took over the comedy world called wild and crazy guys. And, uh, you know, Chevy chase is obviously in there and, uh, Belushi and Aykroyd and Bill Murray, uh, Eddie Murphy, but they cash, they do mention the, the Doug Kenny thing and how much it affected Chevy chase, but, um, it goes way more in depth than in the documentary about national lampoons. Uh, but he died on under very suspicious circumstances. he, Probably, yeah, probably killed himself. Uh, probably. Depression and whatnot. But maybe not. Yeah. Hard to say. Uh, either way, it was a tragedy, and, and Doug Kenny yes. uh, was awesome and and really something that, that a lot of us owe our childhood and our comedy uh, tastes to, uh, Chumpzilla notwithstanding. Chumpzilla hates everything, including golden age comedies. Well, uh, I plead the fifth. Can we dance with your dates? <laughs> Remember, listener, you can find the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Hops and B.O. Flops. You can find myself on Twitter at Bling Blake and now on threads at HBOF Bling Blake. The Thunderous Wizard is at Writer TLK on Twitter. Captain Cash can be found at C-A-P-T-C-A-S-H on most of his social media, if you can find him at all. And Chumpzilla can be found at Chumpzilla8 on Twitter. And a shout out to our friend who we see very seldomly, Mayor McCheese. You can still find him on Twitter at HBOF McCheese as well. If hey, you, if you want to fight, you can find me in Temecula. Could we just call Captain Cash H HBOF McCash at this point? Because he's also 
It's just also gone. disappeared without his trace. He's just gone forever. Oh no! Oh no! No! Oh no! That's... We'll Maybe. see him again. Maybe one day. If you enjoy the show, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe. And please do connect with us on social medias to share ideas for future episodes or just tell us why you hated our last one. In the end, listeners, remember one thing. If you want to smear mud on your ass, smear mud on your ass. Just be honest about it. We'll see you next week for our final entry in our Hops and Summer Camp Flops series, Heavyweights. Chumpzilla, get on the scale, son. Get off the scale! <laughs>